Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. My guest today is Chris Hout, who is a former Olympic swimmer turned triathlete. In 2006, Chris won the Ironman Coeur d'Alene and went on to be the first American amateur and fourth overall American at the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. Chris now coaches ultra-endurance athletes throughout the world. He not only works with ultra swimmers, bikers, and runners, but his ultra endurance approach and mindset coaching is applied to athletes from solo sailing to Nordic Olympic skiers, even military special forces and executives around the world. I hope you enjoy the show and learn a few things that you can apply to your own training. Chris, Chris Hout is with me today. Uh, so honored to have you on the show. Um, you know, you coach a kind of famous guy, Rich Roll, and he calls you, and this is a quote, uh, you are his sensei. And that, <laughs> you know, coming from a guy like Rich, that really means something. And I, when I sat back and listened to a lot of your recordings in the past and podcasts, and you have a great podcast yourself, um, I think of calm.com. Your voice is like, should be in calm.com. They should be paying you to help people meditate. So uh, looking forward to the chat today and thanks for joining me. Of course, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And it's funny you say that because <laughs> I get so much feedback about that exact same thing about really? the voice and um, even yes, for meditation, but for my own podcast, because it sort of goes long and it's continuously my voice, I don't have a lot of guests. They actually say <laughs> they put it on to fall asleep. <laughs> right. So. Well, everybody, put your headphones on, sit back, take a little nap, and uh, I'll, I'll talk less than uh, Chris today. So, <laughs> for your listening pleasure, you know, I'd love to hear more about your uh, past experience and how you got into the endurance world. Obviously, Olympic swimmer, mm -hmm. age group Ironman world champion. You know, fourth overall American in Kona, some huge, huge uh, results there. Um, that probably started at like age two or something, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, swimming started pretty young. Um, I swam yeah. for Germany. So oh. um, that's the, uh, I'm a dual citizen. So I wow. had the choice, but I say choice, but it's not like I was close to making the US team. <laughs> that's, that's quite a competitive, difficult team to make. And so, with my dual nationality, I had the opportunity to represent Germany. Okay. And so that was sort of a past uh, athlete life. And the one I'm connected to now, I like to say, is this endurance life and the lifestyle that comes with it. And it started with triathlon. And it was interesting. Like many others, I started my first, you know, triathlon, which was a half Ironman. And it was pretty painful. And I took it pretty seriously. I thought I was training correctly for it. And I'll never forget Dave Scott at, oh. the, at the finish line. This is this is in the days when they still had a bunch of 
Budweiser and Bud Light in cases waiting for you yeah. at the finish line. Yeah, <laughs> super old days. Exactly. And this was um, Gulf Coast Triathlon, what is now Ironman, Florida. Okay. Same course, but um, just one loop and, and 56 mile bike and 13.1 mile run. And, you know, thinking I was better than I actually was. I, I took the bike way too hard and I'll never forget Dave Scott saying, Ooh, this guy looks like he's in a lot of pain coming in on the run <laughs> okay. to the finish. And he just says, he looks awful. Let's, let's give him a hand and a beer <laughs> as he crosses the finish line. <laughs> nice. But from that, I was sort of hooked. It was something in a variety of ways that challenged me and really put me into a place of learning and a new challenge and trying to figure out how to be good at something. Swimming, I never went through that experience. And that's not to say that I was always good, but I started at such a young age right. in that I never had to apply myself, learn it, because I spent the hours, like you said, as of two years old, three years old, just going to the pool every day. And that repetitive action, those 10,000 hours, not that I necessarily agree with that theory, but and sort of what I did, right? Um, you know, I, I didn't go through the process of studying it and learning it and failing and really having that experience. And so triathlon really threw me for a loop. It was brand new. It was, it, it really whooped me the first time and I loved it. I was hooked besides that. I did another triathlon a couple months earlier called St. Anthony's. Uh -huh. And that used yep. to be, you know, a really big famous one to start the season for a lot of triathlons back in the day when it's only went from April till Kona. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I thought I would win the swim thinking I was a pretty good swimmer, Right. but I got like third or fourth overall. And I looked around who I was swimming with and it was like Dave Burkoff, who was a triathlete out of my Montana for a while, but happened to be an Olympic gold medalist backstroker for the United huh. States. And I wow. swam with him in college. Lars Jorgensen, who had the swim record up until a few years ago in Kona and was a 1500 meter freestyler that I also knew pretty well from, he was a US Olympic um, representative. And there were like three or four other NCAA swimmers. And I'm like, ah, this is where elephants go to die. Triathlon. <laughs> <laughs> Found so, your calling. Exactly. I was like, well, and I started bugging them and, and what they do and how they go about this. And again, hooked on the lifestyle and the curiosity and the learning and just sort of that passion combined with curiosity really creates this, um, you know, this, this soup of success, I would say for lack of a better term right now, because you mix that up properly, the passion with the curiosity, you're always falling forward. You're always failing forward because you just want to learn more and continue to throw more ingredients into that soup in order to make it work for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. The first thing that hit me, you, you mentioned curiosity along with passion, but then you have to have a good amount of humbleness, right? You're coming into a new environment, new folks that are better than you. And to be able to swallow that, that ego and pride and be humble amongst people that are better than you. Agreed. Um, and I, I, I do think that was surely part of it, really getting knocked down. If my first experience would have been success, it wouldn't have been challenging enough and therefore not something I don't think my personality would have continued to um, dive into. But I like to call it sort of an, an understanding of hope. And I define uh, hope yeah. right. as 
will plus way. And mm-hmm. will means, you know, I have a goal, I have a desired outcome, I have a will to achieve something. But then way is past successes and past small successes on how things have worked. And you put those things together. I saw a way going forward with my will that I could actually be good at this. I right, right away connected that to that. And that curiosity and passion combined with that hope of seeing a path to success, not an easy one, but a path. And no, don't get me wrong, it took me 20 years from that day forward to win my age group in Kona. Right. <laughs> so it's not like right. I took, yeah. <laughs> took a fast path. Um, yeah. But it, 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 I think, is an important ingredient for a lot of athletes out there in any sport or even in your career world. If you see a path, if you see a way, if and you have that desire and will with it, then you can start navigating the terrain better because you see that North Star out there and that you can actually have a realistic connection to it, then whatever trials and tribulations you face along the way allows you to sort of deal with it better because you know you're on the path towards that future version of yourself. Yeah, uh, that really uh, rings with me. I, I think you, you know, that patience, you mentioned 20 years, you know, and that consistency over time. And I think we'll get into more of that as we chat here, but those tend to be keys to success, that patience and consistency, but then you have to have that hope along with it that things are going to get better or they have gotten better. I mean, I think about that through COVID, you know, getting out there and you don't have the people didn't have the races they were hoping to do, um, but they had this self sense of improvement. I, I have hope, and if I put the work on, I will improve independent of the race. Yeah, you know, where do I want to end up through COVID? I'd love to ask you about your experience. Of well, that's you, you yourself. You know, with through yeah. COVID. Well, I have a different experience just because you know. Post triathlon, I went into the ultra running world and had plenty of success there. I was done with trying to be something at the top of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wanted to explore in it. So I had now been through three sports, swimming, Mm -hmm. triathlon, and ultra running, where I've won races. I've been sort of quite good at it. And ever since that, since like 2018, I sort of backed off of looking to try to do events for a result Mm -hmm. and work Mm -hmm. more into the self-curated space. Now, don't get me wrong. I also did swim (laughs) run. I did that Attilo swim run world series two years in a row in in Sweden. And that's a blast because you're finally doing something with people, with a partner, and it's a different engagement in that respect. But again, not diving into it to, to try to win that or try to be the best in my age group classification in the world that that I'm done with (laughs) for now. I mean, everybody keeps asking me when I'm going back to Kona after doing it for 20 years, but not yet. But the reason I say that with COVID, I was comfortable in just training every day. I live in the woods here in Marin County at the base of a mountain of Mount Tam. I can literally go within 15 steps onto 365 miles of trails. We're talking pine needles, we're talking woods, we're talking up mountains, we're talking views, ocean, beach, everything I need, mountain bike, gravel bike, whatever it is. Um, So I had that comfort and that seclusion was fine with me. 
But for my athletes, mm -hmm. similar to what you said, I, I asked them early on in COVID, knowing that this was going to be a long haul. There were two concepts at play. One, who, who is it you want to be when we kick out of this? That's the main question I wanted them to sit with. Who do you mm -hmm. want to be on the other side of this? Because opportunity will arise. Opportunities will present themselves. And you want to have the fitness and the strength and the mental fortitude to take on those events as they're stacking up. For example, we're seeing that right now in the running world. You have Boston, Chicago, New York, Berlin, and London, like all within a matter of two months, yeah. right? Like right. when else in your life could you do the Grand Slam in six weeks? <laughs> right? You don't know. Yeah, exactly. And so, again, I didn't expect it to last a full two years, but yep. it was more a question of who do you want to be? Like you want to be ready. You want to be within six to eight weeks ready for that. No, that doesn't mean training at the highest level. We're all masters athletes. We're not going to be those people anymore who are looking to win these things, but to be able to go through that experience of three or four marathons in a matter of six, seven, eight weeks. I mean, that's might be once in a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there was that question. And then it's also, the second question was, this is going to bring on a lot of adversity, a lot of obstacles, a lot of difficulties. And who you are when things get difficult is truly who your values and your personality and your character is. It's in times of difficulty that our true self comes forward. And Again, we had a unique opportunity there for probably a good 12 months where things were very difficult and things were very impatient and frustrating and direction was not really given, whether on a national level or on a personal level. I'm not talking about that. It's more just, it was confusing and it was difficult to yeah. sort of navigate the terrain. And in that time of uncertainty, seeing who you are and what's important to you, what your values are and who you are when nobody's looking like I like to say, that's where your true self comes forward. And hopefully for many, especially those that we talk to, their athlete self and their priorities and what's important to them in that version of themselves came forward and they saw, you know what? Athletics and endurance training and consistency and nutrition and mindset are all important to me. I don't want to give that up. Right. Yeah, when you don't have a clear horizon and it's just this open-ended, just uh, who knows what's going to happen, It's it can be so hard to find focus. So if you're finding the why within, you know, I, it's, it's difficult for a lot of folks because they focus on the finish line, right? And if yeah. there is no finish line, what am I doing? And and so I think, you know, did you help people with, okay, we have time now to work on something you've never worked on before. You know, we have time now to do the cons consistency within strength or, or yeah. the skills development, that stuff. Did that give some more purpose to folks? Um, um I wouldn't say that because I felt um, the uncertainty and the lack of clarity of the future, six months, 12 months, 18 months, 
I needed to keep athletes somewhat connected to what they're passionate about again and curious about. So we actually changed the exercise in a different way and dove into more self-curated adventures. Uh, How far can you run in a day? Have you ever cycled that part of, you know, your region? Mm -hmm. Um, Have you ever run that mountain, hiked that mountain? Have you, I mean, so a lot of self-curated challenges like that. But you also bring up an interesting point that I talk to all my athletes about, whether there's races or not, even in this current environment where races are back. And that is, in order to do endurance training, in my opinion, correctly, you need more than a finish line for motivation. Because those 4.30 wake up wake-ups before work when you're trying to get in a 90 or two-hour ride or 90 minute or a run or a swim practice and you just don't want to go that finish line for motivation is not always going to be very helpful Um, you never want to be out there in any endeavor at work or in this endurance training lifestyle going why am i doing this because the finish line for a lot of masters athletes where we're not winning or not qualifying, or not, you know, there's not some sort of glamour. It, it quickly can become vague. Well, I'll finish. So the finish line becomes less of a motivator than it is what my deeper why is and what you were saying. My deeper why is not, I'm doing this to be a role model for my children, because guess what? They're not up at 4.30 in the morning yeah. seeing you doing the difficult work. The deeper why is the stuff that really you understand inside you. Again, who am I when no one's looking? Who do I want to be? Who do I want to be at the finish line when this is over? What are my values? And we go through a very deep exercise, a lot of my athletes and I, where I continue to ask them, dig deeper. There's more to that. Where is that need for validation coming from? Where are those insecurities and questions coming from? What is it that happened to you that you want to express your athlete self like this now? Where is that curiosity coming from? Understanding that anchors this training in a completely different way. When you're out there on a six-hour bike ride or three, four, five, six-hour run, and you're trying to sort of put it all together and you're like, I should be back with my family or I'm missing this or you know, I have work projects at work. You need a different source to sort of fall back upon and know that this aligns with my values, with who I am, with what future version of myself I want to become. And it sort of takes the edge off of all this and allows a freedom and a clarity to come forward to really embrace this training differently. Yeah, certainly. And it becomes this mindfulness space, you know, for a lot of folks, it it becomes their meditation. And it's tough to get out the door some days, but then always it becomes, wow, that, that benefited, you know, the other other cornerstones of my life, you know, my career, my family, because I came back, um, you know, and, and you mentioned something about in one podcast at one point you were talking about working within versus working out. Yeah. yeah. I call it working out and working in. That's what this endurance training allows us to do. It's not just a workout. It's also a daily opportunity to work in sort of listen to what our soul and our inner space has to tell us. And people might roll their eyes, but they've all experienced 
those runs, those rides. I've never experienced it swimming, so yeah. <laughs> maybe they do swimming. But where you're just sort of, you're in a different space and you have ideas and voices within you to come forward and memories that come forward from a long time ago, and either emotional or right. different feelings come forward. That is your consciousness, your higher consciousness talking to you allowing that portal to open on a daily basis to hear myself, to hear what that higher consciousness that sits behind the ego is looking to say. And it's usually a lot smarter than us anyway. <laughs> it, it directs us <laughs> The in true many self ways. coming through. Exactly, but having a daily opportunity to connect with that, even for two, three minutes, of that hour run, or even for five, 10 minutes on that two, three hour bike, that's so worthwhile because it allows all the other psychological, spiritual systems within us to sort of exhale for a moment and start rewiring and becoming, having their own opportunity to shine. Yeah, I've I've had that experience I, sometimes, and I, sometimes I need like I, I wish I had a notebook with me. Like, oh my God, there's these four ideas. Okay, I'm gonna forget them. Um, okay, when I get back home, there's four things I have to try and remember that just hit me during you know these ideas, and that is like the only place I get that sense. I yeah. don't get that driving my car to the or sitting in traffic. I don't get that watching 60 Minutes on Sunday nights. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so does it is that time um, that really kind of that true self kind of like percolates to the surface which is yeah it's a great great um you know experience and then now i also love like this intention and focus and reflecting on okay what is the purpose we, we have this inner purpose and why but then we actually have the tactical x's and o's you know of today's workout so with intention you know training with intention yeah. Um, is, is it can be critical or it, it can make the difference. Um, your thoughts around that? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this comes from the competitive swimming world and then taking that to the triathlon okay. world. But that is a lot yeah. of the exercises that we went through with regards to how are you showing up today, right? And this is the, you know, discussion I have with a lot of people <laughs> that, I'm not a big believer in just showing up. Um, I'm a big believer in having an intention for every workout, showing up with intention, with a purpose and with a reason and with, you know, how am I going to execute today's workout? What does success look like before I even go to the workout or start the workout? Um, and of course, there's times during warm up I start doing these exercises, but that is a huge component of really what makes the difference between participating and actually competing. In my opinion, again, strong opinion here, <laughs> but just um, showing up is participating. You're doing the event, you're doing the training, you're showing up at the race, but doing it with intention and focus and executing with a specific outcome in mind, that allows you to compete because it sets forth parameters and definitions of each workout, which bleeds into the next race, which bleeds into the higher 
purpose with regards to desired outcomes and goals and and moving forward in the sport. And yeah. so, yeah. but this all unwinds from what I call purpose, clarity, intention. Purpose is the higher vision, is the North Star, where we're heading. It's attached to our deeper why. Clarity is the training plan that provides the connection between daily intention and the higher purpose via a roadmap, via the training plan, via coaching. There's a clarity there than how I'm going to achieve that purpose via daily intentions. And so once we have a good training plan in place, we know what the week looks like, the month looks like, the day looks like, then we can show up with intention, with that real clear understanding of why I'm doing today's workout, how it's going to benefit me, because that's part of the clarity and the coaching plan, and how it leads to my future desired outcome. Yeah, the incremental improvement or pushing the boundaries just that little bit, and there sometimes is a fine line. You, you don't have patience. You're 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 wanting to get back into it. You just signed up for the race. It's eight weeks away. You go too hard. Soreness doesn't catch up, you know, until twenty four forty eight hours later, and now you're off the rails. You know, yeah. so it, it you know, and I think that's kind of a a lot of the purpose of having a coach is ingraining like, hey, remember what we did last week? You went a little too hard. All right, we're all going to do a 745 pace, you know, blah, blah, whatever it might be. And it's just that sweet spot of a little incremental improvement that allows you to recover. And that's where a lot of people go wrong. They don't have that um, patience. They want to do, they heard about the three by three, you know, three minutes on, three minutes off at VO2 max, and that should be 380 watts for me. And boom, now they're wrecked, you know? And bringing it back to what can we handle and getting that consistency over time, that sweet spot. Um, and I, I, you know, I think about the book by Anders Ericsson and he talks about deliberate practice yeah. and really is that kind of sweet spot and the, the value of, of a coach in a lot of ways. Yeah. And you know, I, I call it training where you are, not where you want to be. Right. Right. <laughs> and exactly. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, Use Yeah. Okay. Another quote here. Uh, what is it? Measuring a, a past self as a future measuring stick. Yes. Yes. You know, I, where I, you are today is not what you were eight years ago or 10 exactly, years ago. Exactly. I'm, I compare myself to my past self, not to my future version, because then you're always, you're never good enough. Yeah. But if I see where I'm coming from and what I've already completed. That's the measuring stick and only versus me, not versus somebody else. Because if I continue to improve, I will get better and the results will take care of themselves. Um, Otherwise, it's a very daunting task to say, you know, this is my first Ironman triathlon and I want to qualify for Kona. Well, that's great. Yeah. (laughs) But that's a long list of really good athletes. You're trying to leapfrog. And I always ask that of athletes. Well, that's, I, I think it's great you want to qualify for Kona. It's a noble goal. I had that goal at one point too. But how are you going to leapfrog all those athletes that are already qualifying, that are already doing the training, that are already at that level, also incrementally getting better. So, and usually there's no answer there. So I'm like, let's first focus on our own improvement. First, understand this Ironman thing. Then let's get better at it and faster at it and stronger at it and smarter. That's the key for Ironman racing, smarter at it. Yeah. And then we can start chipping away at 
how we're going to leapfrog a few people at a time. And that's partially coaching. You're totally right there. But to me, it's also an understanding that, you know, this isn't necessarily about the training plan. It's how this works for me. And that's where coaching comes in so closely. I always like to say, you know, if any coach out there likes to say, well, my plan is brilliant because the complexity of it and all this, I'm always like warning flags, right? Yes, yes. This, This coaching isn't difficult. It's having an advocate, a guide, a mentor to help you navigate the difficulty of this training. On paper, it looks great. Oh, totally doable. Yeah, when I was 20, it looked totally doable. But now I'm 40, <laughs> I have a mortgage, I have three kids, I have soccer games on the weekend, I have a career, by the way, I have church, yeah. I have Little League. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. how, how am I going to integrate that piece of paper or that on the training peaks screen into my life? That's yeah. coaching. First, give me green. Exactly. Exactly. That's the (laughs) the, meaning. Can you? Okay. Here's the plan. If you hit and nail this plan, no problems. You you know. But most people can't. You know, turn that workout green all the time. Meaning they complete it as as planned, Mm -hmm. Um, and so that life gets in the way. And this is where the life coach side of coaching comes in, you know, not the X's and O's, but the everything else besides the X's and O's. Right. Um, So I'd love to hear your thoughts around how you help athletes through that. You know, you sort of starting from day one, you know, breaking it down and are there anchors Are there certain tips and tricks to help people start off in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, and I have this conversation with a lot of prospective athletes that reach out for coaching and they always want to know, well, what does a typical week look like? And I say, I'm sorry, I have no idea. (laughs) And they're always sort of surprised. And I'm like, I don't know you. I don't know your hours. I don't know what you do for work. I don't know what you're realistically able to do. I say, it's the current version of you, not who you were in your 20s or 30s, but who you currently are and what's realistic for you currently. So most of my coaching starts out pretty basic and it's pretty frustrating for some more advanced elite athletes. But I'm like, I first need to see how you respond to this basic stuff. I know it's boring and we can move you through it quicker, but that gives me a sense of who you are sort of in my world. And they might give me past coaches data or spreadsheets of years worth of training, but that doesn't mean much to me unless I sort of get my hands on them and get a chance to really see how they're training in the current version of themselves. Uh And then I get a good sense of what they can actually do. And yes, and then it becomes a lot more individual and detailed to them. But, you know, you can imagine similarly for their first Ironman, you know what, you just got to sort of go through this cycle of training in order to get an understanding of first what it is you're doing. And then you need to do your first Ironman to have all those aha moments to look back and go, oh, that's why I did that in training. It's Mm -hmm. hard to explain what it is we're doing until you've actually had the experience of an Ironman. Where, you, where the breakdown and the peaks and valleys come and the difficulties come and the nutritional questions come and the hydration questions come and the pacing questions come and the transition questions come. Yeah, All that put together makes it look a lot clearer in hindsight. And then now we're cooking with gas, as I like to say, right? Because now you under, you've done an Ironman, 
Okay, now we've put our line in the sand. And now how do we improve? Where do we pick up the low-hanging fruit? Where do we really sort of accelerate this progress forward, for example? And then the training sort of accelerates on its own because the athlete is learning. And I'm a big proponent of the athlete learning. I'm just here to guide. If they're learning and failing and observing and growing on their own, and I can sort of navigate them and guide them along with that, stand beside them, not tell them what to do, then we're both all we're both working together faster towards their future outcome. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you never have a fast first Ironman, right? No, and I don't want them to. It's funny, like a lot of my athletes say, you know, well, I'm looking to do this at my first Ironman or my first half. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You are never going to have this first experience again. Yeah. And enjoy it. And quite honestly, oftentimes, because you're a little reckless and you don't have the fear, it might be your fastest half Ironman <laughs> for many years to come, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Because yeah. you, you sort of went into it with sort of reckless abandon. You rode a lot more relaxed and ran a lot more relaxed versus the fear of blowing up that we get once we've had that first blow up. And then we start working. But until then, have fun with this. Enjoy this. It's supposed to be a great experience. And the other component with that that I'm sure you were going to touch on anyway is if the first training cycle is too serious, Mm -hmm. the chances of the athlete staying within this endurance lifestyle long term is very low because they're burning bridges, in my opinion, and I've seen it over the last 25 years, of, of support network and understanding and you know how to make this work with family and career, mm-hmm. what I call right. three-legged stool, then at the finish line, half the family and friends are going, thank God that's over. Can we now move on to a different endeavor? Because this was, you were just a jerk during this time, or yeah. this took too much time, or now can we have our dad back, or can we have our mom back? And So it becomes very important on this first training cycle to really balance that and make it healthy and make it exciting for everybody. And I have a lot of my athletes go through an athlete mission statement. Again, who Hmm. do you want to be when you finish this? What are your values that you're not looking to compromise along the way? Like where you say, no, Chris, I agree that Saturdays I'm going to be done at one o'clock. And I'm not talking yawning half dead on the couch. I'm talking one o'clock done and able to sort of be a full functioning family member. Yes. (laughs) Right. And that becomes, those are all created and defined in the athlete mission um, statement, because this is who I want to be. And at that finish line, I ask athletes to write it out and close their eyes. Who's there at the finish line to support you? And what, what are their feelings? Were you the jerk or were Mm -hmm. you somebody who constantly balanced who they are and their support of you because they are of support. They're picking up the slack. They're there until one o'clock on Saturday with family and kids and all that while you're out on a six hour bike ride. Like all those factors come into play in that athlete mission statement and why it's so important early on in the training to to take to pump the brakes, quite honestly, a lot. Like you said earlier, we sign up, we're gung-ho, you know, and our family, our friends even our work in some cases, they don't know what it means to train for this either. 
So all mm-hmm. of a sudden, it's yes. like, yeah, we're also gung-ho. That sounds awesome. That looks amazing for you to do that. And then next thing you know, six weeks into the training, it's like, well, I'm not too sure here. <laughs> yeah, you know, the oftentimes the spouse, obviously, as you mentioned, doesn't know or the family members don't know all that it takes. So there may be an upfront conversation, you know, within that, that comes from that athlete mission statement of, hey, this is what I would like to allocate to this hobby, you know, this, this adventure of mine. May I do this, you know, kind of like bringing in the family. And when I, I I think that's an amazing uh, tip to have that athlete mission statement because, you know, everybody focuses in on what are my important workouts? What, what, what do I have to get in on the workout side? But then, you know, your example of, I have to have my, you know, absolutely Sundays at one o'clock, I'm done. It's family time. Like there are those anchors on the other side of, you know, that is life and family and career. And what are those priorities? And can you get to the finish line with all that in balance? Yes. And I, Balance is a dangerous word there. Mm, okay, you're um, right. And and that Ebb is and flow. they're <laughs> never going to be, the three-legged stool is never going to be all same leg length mm-hmm. legs, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes career is longer. Sometimes mm-hmm. family is longer. Sometimes even self-care slash training is longer. Um, but they one can't get too short because otherwise it's not a stool. It falls over. It's just two <laughs> right. legs and we're, we're looking pretty bad. And yeah. within that athlete, mission statement, because you're including early on family and friends in some cases, your community into this equation, into those values, they are automatically feeling like they're part of the process. And it doesn't mean it's set in stone for the next 20 weeks. Mm -hmm. We can Mm -hmm. revisit that. Like, how are we doing with this? How is it affecting you? And you mentioned earlier, like how, what are the anchors you start coaching with? This is one of the things that frustrates a lot of my athletes early on, because until we clarify this, we don't really do much training. Mm -hmm. I need to know your deeper why and your purpose. I need to know Mm -hmm. your athlete missions. Have you talked to your support man? What does that look like? And they're like, can we just start working out? I didn't sign up for all this voodoo stuff, Mm. but it's important because down the road, when those big weeks come or I keep, cause I do keep pushing the boundaries. Don't get me wrong. I, I try to get these athletes to really have some big training weeks because I think you learn a lot about yourself and your capabilities mm-hmm. and your potential in those training weeks. I have uh, next week coming up my annual aim challenge week. And it is a, a week where we challenge ourselves physically, mentally, and spiritually beyond what we think is possible. You know, um, it's one of those things that a lot of uh, coaches in other sports also do and psychologists work with, with regards to, you don't really feel like you're going to complete it. You might have a 50% chance, but you're willing to try. And that's what, let's say, the AIM Challenge Week sort of is based upon. Can I run a 50 miler, a 50K, a marathon, and a half marathon in a week? Mm. Um, Can our triathlon challenge, for example, is... um, Seven days, so day one, 2.4 mile swim, day two, 112 mile bike, day three, 26.2 mile run, day four, 1.2 mile swim, day 
five, a 56 mile bike, day mm-hmm. six, a 13.1 mile run. And we finish mm-hmm. it off with a Olympic distance triathlon. An wow. amazing week. And for wow. a lot of athletes, and we started on a Friday. So you do that swim on the Friday and then you do your 112 mile bike and 26.2 mile run on a Saturday and Sunday. So it's more realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to actually complete. But many athletes, they go through this process of that week and they're like, wow, I never thought I could do that. Now, of course, there's a lot of guidance with nutrition and hydration and sleep and recovery. But again, having an understanding that this is my potential, this is, I can do way more than I thought I could, right. brings it back again to these anchors of, yeah, these weeks can get big. But if your family and your support network and your, your work, sees who you light up to be, who you are then with that energy and that vitality and that confidence and that excitement and back to curiosity and passion, which spills over into other parts of your life. All that creates this energy Mm -hmm. that flows out of you if done right. Mm-hmm. If done wrong, we both know what that's like. We're sort of drained on energy. You're always tired. You're sort of a shell of yourself. You show up 50% of yourself at work, 50% of yourself at family, and 50% of yourself in your workouts. You're exhausted. You're How do done. you know as a coach when that's what are the signs you're seeing? A lot of the notes in uh, training peaks, um, weekly check-ins, communication. I put a lot of accountability on the athletes that properly participate in this. Don't get me wrong. I don't have 100% (laughs) success Mm -hmm. with this. Mm -hmm. But those athletes that effectively, vulnerably, openly communicate with me, it's quite easy. Mm -hmm. Um, But those that don't, you know, it's sort of just seeing, well, this doesn't make sense. You should have been able to execute those intervals. With that long run should have not taxed you that much. Something's up. And then it's time to dig deeper. That's the job yeah. of a coach. Right. And it's more than the numbers. It's more than the power file, the Garmin file. Yeah. It's, you know, I need that feedback that, you know, how you feel in recovering and that that subjective, you know, feedback is yeah. so important is that psychological state of the, of the athlete is never always the same. It's going to ebb and flow and having yeah. the pulse on where they're at. Yeah. And that's what in training peaks for me, like many athletes are surprised. Well, didn't you see my power file? I'm like, no, I had to look at your commentary <laughs> first right. and the power file. Listen, you, I wrote the workout. I know what you're doing or what you're supposed to be doing. I don't mm-hmm. need to see if you did it, if you don't do it, that's up to you. Like, this is your outcome. <laughs> this yeah. is not mine. So I'm not always going to check if you're doing it. It's more as a validation, another insight, another piece of information in order to determine who you are as the athlete. Back to what we were talking about. Learning how I'm going to do this training and individualize it for you is based off of your commentary, your consistency, your training habits and insights with regards to what you are able to pull out of yourself in your own observation and then some power files and pace work. But, you know, other than that, if you're not providing me with what I need in order to coach you, you're only going to get consulting, not coaching. When I just put in a training plan, I call that consulting here. Yeah, right, right. Do this. Yep. Yep. I mean, it isn't about doing the plan, but it's more about like, you're doing it despite life. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's very well said. Yes. Yeah. You know, and uh, people, 
seem to uh, roll their eyes sometimes because I'm like, you can get a great training plan out of a magazine, off of a website, some great books out there, um, or you can just purchase one on Training Peaks. This you don't need my coaching for that. What coaching is is exactly again that space between the training plan and the finish line and yeah. how do i navigate it how do i integrate it into my life into who i am that magazine that um training plan that i purchased doesn't fit like you can't make that square peg go into that round, round hole all the time and so that's sort of what i would encourage not just my coaching but most coaches are really good at that they take that input and they try to massage it and gently uh, adjust it in order to integrate it into the athlete's life. That's what coaching is. Yeah, and obviously most athletes are gonna start with a free plan and they might buy a $30 plan and then they start to quickly realize, wow, there's a whole lot more to this and I actually only followed 20% of the plan. So I'm a unique individual, you know, how can I get better with the resources, you know, that, that they have and availability, yep. et cetera. Um, awesome. You know, I, this has been a great, great conversation. You actually have an event or two coming up, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I do. Um, 29029 events. So that's like Everesting. A lot of cyclists are familiar with that yeah. on the bike, but, um, we do it with, um, hiking up a mountain until you achieve 29,029 feet. Well, we haven't adjusted for the new height of Everest, which is 29,032. <laughs> okay. all, the, all the branding was not changed for that, but um, it's three events, four events a year, um, maybe more soon. And that is cool. where you hike up a mountain, you take the gondola down. That's awesome. And you do that for 36 hours or until you reach, um, that's the cutoff, 36 hours. Yeah. And so it's great and it's a lot of fun and it really breaks down the wear and tear on the body since you're not hiking down. But the other thing is it's an entry point for a lot of people into an ultra endurance event. You go through the day and through a night right. and that's where I sort of define endurance to ultra endurance. Once you see a second sunrise, mm, you're an ultra yes. endurance athlete. <laughs> I have not done that to myself. Well, you're going to have to find out, but <laughs> it's great. It's um, it's a really fun event. This one's in Stratton, Vermont. The other ones were in Sun Valley and Snow Basin, Utah. But you get, and it's great for me because I love meeting new, brand new rookie endurance athletes and seeing them have that transformation from who they were before the weekend and who they are kicking out of the weekend of their first ultra endurance event and how right. hooked and excited and that energy that I was talking about just sort of lights them up and they have a smile on their face. And it's like, this is why we do this because people kick out on the other side with such a glow and a curiosity and passion, hopefully for more, but they also realize we're wired to do this. We're wired to do endurance events. We're wired yeah. to be outdoors in nature, to turn those senses outwards versus inwards. But because so much of what we do these days is an, an internal environment. Mm -hmm. And so everything lights up, everything from our mind to our body, to our senses, to you know our consciousness, it is amazing to observe. Wow. Well, that, going full circle back to the first minute of our discussion, that hope, yeah. you know, you, you, it's like part of hope is like you have the will and the way, and you have this confidence and you've done it, you can do better. And that creates more hope and, and 
uh, on and on. And I think that, you know, you, you get this news. So I think of a governor, like, yep, the governor is risen, you know, like the yeah. athlete has a higher capacity because they, you know, I've had a coach do the same thing with me and asked me to do something I never done before. And I did it and survived it. And now I had a, just a new sense of where my limits can yeah. be. Um, and funny enough, Ironman itself was a new, new one for me. I mean, when I, I've done one Ironman, but I was flying like two weeks later, I was the strongest like athlete ever won a yeah. pro. I, I was a retired pro cyclist, jumped into Ironman. Two weeks later, I won a pro event here in Colorado. And I was like, holy cow. Yeah. Like it just like increased like capabilities, you know, yeah. even as a cyclist. Um, so yeah, wonderful conversation. How can people find you? Uh, social, what kind of uh, apps are you using these days? Yeah, I don't use a lot of social, only All right. Instagram. Um, <laughs> Aim Coach. That's great. Um, yeah. You know, A-I-M-P-C-O- ACH. And then, you know, otherwise I'm, I'm just the usual email type of person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they can easily email me at chris at aimcoaching.com or the website's aimcoaching.com. But yeah, I always love to chat and help people discover that version of themselves and the potential that ultra endurance and endurance events can bring out in all of them. Yeah. Super awesome. Athlete mission statement is what I'm walking away with. You know, yeah. uh, that's an, that's a big one. So thanks for all the insightful tips. So wonderful. Helped me a ton. Hopefully the listeners got a lot out of it and uh, yeah, keep in touch. Thank you so much. Of course. You're so welcome. Thanks for listening to the training peaks coach cast for more episodes, visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify, Apple music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe rate or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge.